When you read the Bible, it becomes very obvious that there are some, some paradoxes. There are some things that almost look like they're contradictory in what they're teaching. And, um, and although I don't believe there are any contradictions in God's Word, some of these paradoxes are just hard for us in our minds to reconcile. After all, this book is a revelation of God, the nature and character of God, the one who created us. And to think that we could ever figure him out or, 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 or understand all of his thoughts and all of his ways is kind of arrogant on our part. I don't think we ever will. Even when we see him face to face, I still don't think our minds will ever um, wrap around the fullness of God and who he is. But these doctrines sometimes cause us a lot of conflict because we try to um, we try to resolve them. We try to reconcile them. And I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I don't, I don't know that we're supposed to resolve them. Um, and I used an illustration in the first sermon that I preached about how um, that there are a lot of things in our life um, that there are tensions that are created that are necessary. I use the alignment of a car as an example. But there are tensions in the Bible that are not there for us to reconcile, but for us to believe and trust, live between those things. And... When you work too hard to resolve one of those tensions, you usually wind up off in the ditch somewhere. And so here, some of the things that we've talked about thus far, and I'm not going to preach this sermon um, all over again, but the first thing we talked about was, was in, in concerning the very nature and character of God. And I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of people off in the ditch of God is love. There's a lot of people just drove right off into that ditch. And because that's all that they teach, then because God is love, everything is permissible. And we live in a culture where everybody wants to make a big deal out of God being a God of love, and He is. But the other side of that coin that the Bible tells us about from the beginning to the end is that God is holy. In fact, oftentimes in the Bible you see that in a, in a triune proclamation in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So He's not just love. He's also holy. And when you get in a ditch in the, in the holiness of God, then you become legalistic and judgmental and, and God is, a, uh, is cruel and harsh and vindictive and malicious even. Um, but if you get off in that ditch of God is just love, then you become, legalist, uh, you become liberal and anything and everything goes. And, so, and, so, and, and I, I didn't realize when I started this series how that all this stuff kind of ties itself together. But when you talk about God's law and God's grace, God's law is a revelation and a reflection of his holiness. Um, but God's grace is a revelation and reflection of his love. And the law is not a bad thing. Everything God's ever given is good, and God gave us the law for a reason. It can't save us, um, but it helps keep us walking in that path um, that's in our best interest and for God's glory. And then, and then where we fail to meet the law, where we fail to measure up to the law, God's grace is sufficient for us. And so they're not enemies with one another. They're friends and they walk together. We talked about our faith and our works. Now your works will never save you. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our works will never save us. But when we have faith, it works. When you have real authentic... James said, if you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he went on to say that if you have faith that has no works, then your faith is dead and vain. It doesn't mean anything. It's just you saying something, not putting it in practice. You practice what you believe. You, you, you trust Jesus and you obey Jesus. Faith and works are not enemies. They walk together all the way through Scripture. And then last week we got into a really deep subject 
God's sovereignty. God's in control. Do you, I believe God is in control without a doubt. Pa he knows past, present, and future. Um, he knows every decision we'll ever make before we make it. God's sovereign. He's in control. He sets up kings. He takes down kings. Um, he orchestrates events in our life to keep us where he wants us. God's sovereign. But in God's sovereignty, he also gave us the opportunity, the ability to choose. We have free will. And we can exercise that free will and walk in contradiction to God. And when we do that, we reap the consequences of it. That whole principle of sowing and reaping is where man exercises his freedom of will to rebel against God. And, and, and we suffer the consequences of that. And God's sovereignty works through those situations and circumstances as well. Today I want to consider something that's connected to that. And that is probably, and I said this last week, but maybe this is... This digs down a little bit deeper into that. Um, the whole idea of, of preservation and perseverance. Um, and I know that the church has used these words almost interchangeably, but we mean different things when we say them. Preservation and perseverance. I don't know if the church will ever stop fighting over these two things. Um, what I do see a lot, and, and I've, I've been guilty of it myself. I'm not going to tell you that I haven't. Um, but I, what I see a lot of times is we as the body of Christ will set up these straw man arguments against people that don't necessarily agree with us on every point of doctrine, and then we tear them down. And, and, uh, and usually what that means is that there are people who love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ that wind up falsely accusing each other of things. Um, I, I, I said this, I think, last week. I love for people to come tell me what I believe. And then, I'm, and then after they get through telling me what I believe, I'm like, that's not what I believe at all. But that's what we do when we build up these straw man arguments and then tear them down. Um, Brother Bill Mullis and I, I call his name a lot because we have weekly fellowship. He's like a father to me. He's a brother to me. Um, as far as Baptists are concerned, we're supposed to be on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Every time we see each other, we ought to pull our Bible out and hack each other to pieces because that's what the church has done. If you, if you hung theological titles on us, you would call Brother Bill a Calvinist and you would call me an Arminian, and we're not supposed to have any fellowship at all. But years ago, we came to the conclusion that I, I know that the Spirit of God lives in him. I see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He's reading from the same Bible that I'm reading from. He's loving and trusting the same Jesus that I'm loving and trusting. And we, I know that we have some dis disagreements in some areas about this stuff, um, but I cannot um, reject him as a brother in Christ, and he has not rejected me as a brother in Christ. And our relationship has actually, I think, helped each other see things a little bit more clearly in this idea of being preserved or of us having to persevere in our faith. So the question is, is this, in case you're wondering where I'm going, is God preserving all who have trusted Christ at some point in their life? Is, is, is God preserving all who have trusted in Christ? Or must everybody who, that trusts in Christ persevere in their faith in order to finally be saved? Now, you would set these things in opposition to one another if you wanted to use some common terminology. Once saved, always saved. Or is there a possibility of apostasy? Do we have to continue in the faith? 
And, and, and listen to me when I say this because I mean this in all sincerity and my beliefs have not changed. I just think God's given me a little bit better understanding of some things through the years and I hope he has all of us. Uh, I don't think the answer to that question is an either or but a both and. I don't think I have to answer that question either I believe this or I believe this. I believe I can answer that question. I believe that God is preserving those who trust Christ and I also believe that those who trust Christ must persevere in their faith. I don't think those things are working in opposition to one another like everything else we've talked about. I think they're working in harmony with each other. God is, pers God is preserving all who persevere in their faith and all who persevere in their faith are being preserved by God. You can say it all kind of different ways, but it means the same thing. It means that both of those things are at work in our lives and in our faith. In 1 Peter, this, is, this has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I read it often at funerals. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And there's really just one verse I want to key in on, but I'm going to read more than that. Beginning in verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your salvation, receiving the end of your faith, rather, even the salvation of your souls. Now just jump down to verse 13. Wherefore, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... And fashioning yourselves, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, that's lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, that's, I've, just like every message in this series, I've used the passage of Scripture as a springboard for what I want to talk about. There's one verse in this that I want to key in on, and that's that verse 5. He's talking about what has been laid up for us. Um, we have been born again because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Um, we have been promised an inheritance that is, that is incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. It is reserved for us in heaven. But verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God. That's preservation. That's God working in our lives to keep us. That's God moving on our behalf. To keep us in faith. But the other side of that is that we are kept by the power of God through faith. That is perseverance. That is, that is our connection to God. That is God's hand of grace reached down, called our hand of faith. And that, that, that is His keeping and saving grace connected to our keeping and saving faith in Him. So you've got preservation and perseverance in the same sentence. This is one of the best quotes I've ever read. Um, in relation to this issue, and I want to say that I agree with it 110%, if you can agree with something, 110%.
Philip Schaff in the history of the Christian church wrote this, and I, I believe it. Calvinism emphasizes divine sovereignty and free grace. Arminianism emphasizes human responsibility. The one, that is Calvinism, restricts saving grace to the elect. The other, which is Arminianism, extends it to all men on the condition of faith. Now listen to what he says. Both are right in what they affirm. Both are right in what they assert. That God is sovereign and that he gives free grace and, 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 and that Arminians believe that humans have a responsibility to receive that grace by faith. Both are right in what they assert. Both are also wrong in what they deny. And this is what I've been trying to say throughout this series, but he said it so much more, uh, he, he's so much more articulate than I am. He said, if one important truth is pressed to the exclusion of another truth of equal importance, it becomes an error. That's when you run off in the ditch and loses its hold upon the conscience. That's why we, when, we, when we get off in those ditches, we wrestle with these other contradicting, what we consider to be contradicting doctrines, and, and because we can't, rationalize them we can't make them fit our theology we just tear them down that's what we do when we run across passages of scripture that mess with our theology we just explain those passages of scripture away rather than understand that there's a divine tension at work there that we don't have to resolve so if you press if, if you take one truth and press it to the point that you include that you exclude another truth it becomes an error loses its hold on our conscience the Bible gives us a theology which is more human than Calvinism and more divine than Arminianism and more Christian than either one of them. Now, I love that statement. And I would say to that, oh me, ouch, and amen. Because I have been in those ditches before. I have been in both ditches before. I've bounced between the ditches before. And somewhere in the middle of that, I want to stay out of those ditches and understand that my Calvinist brethren may understand a little bit more about God's sovereignty than I understand, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong. And I may understand as an Arminian that I, I might have a little bit better understanding of human responsibility and the condition of faith, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong and I'm right. It means that together we can come to some common ground and learn. And, 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 and you know, we're all spokes in this wheel, but somewhere in the middle of our theology... Somewhere in the middle of our, our internal conflicts is the truth of everything that God would have us to believe. So, um, and this, I, I felt like this every time. I, I didn't realize how hard these doctrines were going to be able to preach alongside each other. But I've done this in every message. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to preach one and I'm going to preach the other. And I'm going to tell you how I believe we ought to blend them together. Without a doubt, the Bible teaches that God preserves those who believe. Without a doubt, we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Listen, listen, I, I'm going to say this as strongly as my friend Bill Mullis can say it. It is God who establishes us. It is God who strengthens us. And it is God who keeps us. And if God were not working on our behalf, none of us would ever be established. None of us would ever be strengthened. And none of us would ever be kept. God is working in us. God is working for us. And God is working through us. Let me give you some verses real quick. John chapter 5, verse 24. 
Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, that is, present tense, you have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. We have eternal life. Now, present tense, because we have believed. John 6, 37. We read this last week. All that the Father giveth me, this is Jesus, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Amen. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, verse 38 and 39 said this, For I am persuaded, that is, I am fully convinced, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Powerful passage of Scripture. I love all of Romans chapter 8. You know how it began? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's a responsibility given to us at the end of that who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. But the end of that chapter says that there is nothing above, under, on, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not anything that can separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, the last part of that verse, Paul said again, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded, I'm convinced, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He, Jesus, is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I have committed my soul unto the Lord Jesus Christ for His safekeeping, for my eternal security, and I am persuaded that what I have committed to him, he is able to keep. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. What he's starting, he will finish. He will perform it into the day of Christ Jesus' return. So listen. There is no doubt whatsoever in my mind that the only way I'm going to make it to heaven and the only way anybody else is going to make it to heaven is by the grace and the power of God working on our behalf, period. Can I say that as unequivocally as I possibly can? Listen to me. If God gives us up, if God gives us over, over as Romans chapter 1 says that he does some people, we're finished. The, it, we are absolutely dependent upon the keeping power of God to work in our lives. I, I am convinced that it is by the grace and power of God working on me, working in me, working through me, that will establish me, that will strengthen me, and that will keep me safe until He calls me home. Now, I don't know how I can say that any stronger. Let me just make it real simple for you. There is no question whatsoever in my heart, in my mind, 
that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are eternally secure. All who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are secure. And, 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 and you can argue that faith itself is a gift from God that keeps on giving. And God's grace is what gives us the ability and the power to believe. Faith taps us into God's grace and God's grace enables our faith to grow. It is the keeping power of God that secures us. Now, some of you are saying, Preacher, are you still free will Baptist? Yep. Because I believe there's another side to the coin. And that is that I believe the Bible also teaches that man's perseverance is a necessity. That we have to keep on believing. That faith is not a once done, forever finished thing. But that faith is something that we have to continue in. That we can't give up on. And listen, when, when we talk about the possibility of apostasy, let me, I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a second, all right? And then we're going to, I'm, I'm going to read some scriptures real fast and we, we'll be done. But when, when we, when I talk about the possibility of apostasy, I don't mean that when somebody sins, they're lost again. I believe, I believe possi the, the problem is sin. And you hear me say this all the time. When Jesus Christ saved me, he forgave me of my sins, past, present, and future. He knew every sin that I've ever committed. He knew the sin that I was living in when I came to him. And he knew the sin that I would commit after I came to him. And he forgave me of all of them. When I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my sin debt was canceled forever. The problem isn't sin. And, if we, and, and listen to me, if you start teaching, if you start telling people that if you sin, you're going to lose your salvation, you're way outside of what Scripture says. And if you start making those kind of statements, let me tell you what you're going to have to wind up doing. Well, what sin exactly separates you from God? And, 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 and how much of that is it going to take to separate you from God? And then we get, then we get ourselves in a quagmire. Because all we would do was name the big sins. We would say, if you're drunk, after you come to Christ, if you get drunk, you're going to hell. Oh, wait a minute now. I know, more, I know gossips that have tore up more churches than drunks have. So you got to be careful when you start talking about sin. It can interrupt our fellowship with God. It can be evidence of us moving away from faith. But it's not sin that's the problem. Apostasy is somebody that walks away from their faith. You don't believe in who Jesus is. You don't believe what Jesus did. You, you have, you walk, it would be a, somebody that has professed to know Christ um, that walks away and becomes an atheist. Somebody that professes to love and know Jesus Christ and walks away and becomes um, a, a Muslim. Somebody that abandons their faith. That is apostasy. So let me prove that scripturally. The promise of salvation, and I can, I, you, you hear me say this all the time. When you read a King James Version Bible, and you see those little, you see believe, E-T-H, believeth. John chapter 3, verse 16, whosoever believeth. That E-T-H is a continuous action verb. It is a, it is a, 
perfect present tense. It is something that you don't, you, it's not that I did believe, but that it's that I do believe. Continuous action. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 15, 6. Let me run through these verses. Jesus said, if a man abide not in me. Now Jesus is implying that it's possible for a man not to abide in him. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. The apostle Paul writing to a church that is, that is in danger of walking away from Jesus and going back to trying to keep the law. Specifically through circumcision. Here's what John, or Paul said in Galatians. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. And he went on to say, it's not another gospel. It's not the truth. At least two or three times in that same epistle, he said, I'm afraid that what I have taught you and preached to you has been in vain because you're walking away from Jesus, going back to something that could never save you to begin with. In fact, he said, he, he asked him the question, were, were, were you saved by the keeping of the law or by the, new, by the birth, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? So if you've been saved because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what makes you believe that you can stay saved by keeping the law? So he's, he's, he's saying, I, I don't want you to move away from Christ to something that could never save you to begin with. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. He, gives, he, he calls two men by name in, this, in, this, in the context of this scripture. Um, but, he, but he's encouraging Timothy. He said, hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And he lists them by name, and he says, I've turned them over to Satan. They made shipwreck of their faith. They put away their faith and made shipwreck of their life. This is a strong passage of Scripture to me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 20, because there's no doubt whatsoever that Paul is writing to somebody that has been born again. He said, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, that's pre-conversion, that's who we were before we came to Christ. You were alienated from God and you were enemies because of your wicked works. But then he says, Yet now hath he, that is Jesus, reconciled in the body of his death, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now that's good news. That what Jesus did on the cross for us will stand us in the presence of God and present us to God as being holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. But then there's that great big little word. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So the condition of salvation is continuing faith. Now I'm not taking away from God's keeping power. But God has given us the responsibility to continue to believe. And not to be moved away from that. 
Hebrews contains five warning passages. Now, I know you can read commentaries. You can read behind all these other men. They're going to tell you something different than what. In fact, I heard one man say, this is, what, this is what would happen if it could happen, but it can't happen, so it won't happen. That's crazy. That makes sense to you. That doesn't make no sense to me. I'm not that complicated when I think about things. I believe what God said, God meant. And it ain't for me to try to reconcile all of it. It ain't for me to try to understand all of it. It's for me to believe it and live between it. But there are five warnings given in Hebrews that were given, I believe, without a doubt, to Christian, to Jews who had converted to Christ and who were in danger of going back to Judaism because of the persecution that they were enduring, because they were being ostracized, excommunicated, persecuted, and, and they found it easier to be Jews than they did to be Christians. And so these five warnings are given. And the first warning starts out where we ought to all start out. I, he said, I'm, I'm concerned that you have an evil heart of unbelief and forsaking the living God. An evil heart of unbelief. You did believe, but you're no longer believing. That's dangerous. I'm just going to give you two different passages, two of the strongest passages, I believe, in Hebrews about the dangers of apostasy. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened... And have tasted the heavenly gift. By the way, I had a man tell me one time that, that, that when you say, when the Bible uses the word tasted the heavenly gift, that means he didn't really get saved. He just tasted a little bit of it. The Bible uses the same word to say that Jesus tasted death for every man. So did Jesus really die or did he just almost die? There ain't no doubt in my mind that Paul is writing to a Christian. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Tasted the good word of God, the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, that's the word, apostasia. A rejection, a renunciation, a walking away from faith. If they shall fall away, to it'll be impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame and nailed Jesus back to the cross. He ain't who I thought he was. He didn't do what I thought he did. They put him back on the cross. My Jesus ain't on the cross. He died on the cross, buried in the barred tomb, and rose victorious. Apostasy is to nail him back. And there's no remedy according to Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If you read the verses that are preceding us, it's talk, it let, it's let us continue in the faith. Let's keep on meeting together. Let's keep on encouraging one another. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you, suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and there's two important words right there, and overcome. That's apostasy. That's what he's pointing to. And overcome. I think that there's a time in all of our life where we mess around and get entangled in the things of the world. 
We get entangled in fleshliness. We get entangled in things. But if we're not over, the only way you can be overcome by those things is if you stop believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you get tangled up therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. One more verse. And I'm going to close it down. Romans chapter 11. I would encourage you to go read that whole passage of Scripture. Paul says some profound things there, but he's talking about, he's explaining what happened to the Jewish people. And how Gentiles became partakers of the gospel. It basically says the Jews were the natural branches. They had the first opportunity to be saved. But, but, but they didn't believe in who Jesus was, what he did, so, so they were broke off. They were broke off. And Gentiles, that's us, we were grafted in. We became connected to the vine through faith. But he gave this warning in Romans chapter 11. He said, well, because of unbelief, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you, Gentiles, stand by faith. But then he gave this encouragement, this exhortation. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Now the whole business that Paul's pointing out there, there is that, that business of unbelief. You cannot give up on Jesus. On who he is and what he's done. So listen, there's no doubt in my mind, again, that the only way I'm going to make it to heaven and the only way that you're going to make it to heaven is by abiding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't stop believing. Alvin's my 80s song guy. Who sang that one? Foreigner? Journey? I forget. Don't stop believing. Is it possible to stop believing? Was it possible to start believing? See, I don't, believe the I don't believe the Bible ever points to faith as being a one-time done, forever finished thing. And that's where the danger comes in. Anybody that is walking in faith can find the assurance of their salvation that they need because their life itself has proven it. And it's not that, we, that we're saving ourselves, it's that the fruit of the God's Spirit is working in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. We know that He is working in us. We know that He is preserving us because we are persevering in faith. And that faith is being manifested in the way that we live our life. And I want to tell you this, and I mean this in all sincerity. Somebody that is walking in willful sin, somebody that is walking in rebellion, somebody that is walking contrary to the Word of God, they don't need assurance of salvation. It ain't my business to tell them that they're saved or not saved. It is my business to tell them this is what the Bible says about the way you're living your life. On judgment day, you're going to just give an account to him, not me. He knows your heart. I don't know your heart. But if you live in, in willful sin and in rebellion against God, I, I'm not giving you any assurance because I don't believe the Scripture would give you any. I'm not supposed to. 
Because I, I'm not, I, don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to pit the preservation power of God against the persevering faith of men. I think that we have to have that persevering faith to prove that God is preserving us. So listen, God's preservation of our life is proven when we persevere in faith. I am more secure in my salvation right now than I have ever been in my whole entire life. And I mean that. I am eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that because I continue to walk with Him. I continue to love Him. I continue to trust Him. I know that God is working in me. I know that God is working on me. I know that God is working through me. That gives me assurance. He's preserving me. And where there's no proof, where there's no perseverance, nobody deserves assurance. I believe God put that tension in, in His Word for that purpose. That when we start veering off, those tensions pull us back and keep us on that straight and narrow path. So I believe in both those things. I believe God is preserving me. And I believe I have to keep, keep on keeping on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can have these arguments all day long. Well, if you, if you, if you quit believing, you never believed to begin with. Listen, we, we'll, chase our, we'll chase ourselves round and around that tree until Jesus comes, and we'll never know the answer to that question. But I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and I mean this in all sincerity. You praying a prayer and walking through a baptismal pool is not where you're going to get your salvation from. I prayed a prayer, walked through a baptismal pool when I was nine years old. I had assurance of salvation for a couple of years. But then when I found myself in rebellion and contradiction against the will of God in more ways than I care to share with you this morning. In October 1993, I, had, I lost all assurance of my salvation. Not that I'm not saying, I don't know what God did when God did it, but I know in, in 1993, God transformed my life from the inside out. I ain't never been the same. Don't trust in a prayer that you prayed 30 years ago. Don't trust that you got wet 20 years ago. What's your life say about you right now, right here today? Does your life right here, right now, today say that I am trusting in Jesus, I am walking with Jesus, I am following Jesus, I am obeying Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of my life, I have, I have surrendered and submitted myself to Him, that's where you're going to find your security. That's where we're supposed to find our security. Your perseverance in faith proves God's preservation of your life. And if there's no perseverance in the faith, then you don't deserve to have the assurance of God's preservation. Let's stand together. Lord, I, I pray I've not made a mess out of this doctrine this morning. I feel like sometimes a pinball and I get bounced back and forth between these two subjects myself. And I know the dialogue that I've had with brethren who see things a little bit different than I do. And somewhere, somewhere in the middle, somewhere between us, 
is the place where I want to live and dwell. We all want assurance of salvation. And I believe your word wants us to have that assurance of salvation. But it didn't need to be a man-made assurance. It needs to be an assurance that comes from persevering faith. It needs to be an assurance knowing that we are kept by the power of God. It needs to be an assurance that comes from both of those things. Not one or the other, but both. And so I pray, God, if there's somebody right here, right now, this morning, they may have made a profession of faith years ago. They may have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and went through a baptismal pool, but there's nothing whatsoever in their life right now that looks like Jesus, walks like Jesus, talks like Jesus. John made it pretty clear that somebody that says that they have fellowship with Him, but walk in darkness, they're lying and doing not the truth. Somebody that's continuing to live in a lifestyle of sin, John said that, that the one that's born of the Spirit can't continue to live that way. There's a lot of those passages of Scripture and, and, and your Word that, that keep us out of the ditch on either side. So help us to learn to love, trust, walk between. If there's one here this morning that's lost, I pray that seed would find good ground this morning. They'd be born again. Have your will and your way in this invitation. Do whatever you want to do. And we'll give you thanks and praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.